Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Game four is on the way. You can hear it over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 1340, 98.9 FM. We're talking about game four of the Western Conference Finals. Knights trying to close things out against Dallas, a very badly wilting Dallas at the end of, really through the middle of, Game three, so 3 nothing lead. We'll see if they get the job done this evening. Adam Candy is here for the 5 o'clock hour. I knew he'd make it. Ari is back in the Finley Toyota Studios here at Silver 7s. It's James. We're going to check in with our buddy Willie Ramirez because he was out there face-to-face with a lot of the Raiders. Getting in their face now. Um, Raiders OTA media availability today, so some good stuff to go through. So, Candy, we had uh, reports earlier in the day uh, not practicing. We'll get updates from Willie See if these are all official. Garoppolo, Jacobs, Renfro, Tyree Wilson, number one pick, first-round pick, and also uh, Trevin Merrig was uh, not practicing as well. And I do want to talk more about Devontae Adams and what he said a few weeks ago to the ringer and then what he said about what he said today because it was was quite jumbled and I heard some finger-pointing and I thought it was pretty silly. But there are people who are his protectors, and they're not all – on the Raiders. But I wanted to open this hour with the uh, the news that came down in the last couple of days. And we both feel really strongly about baseball. We're big baseball fans. Um, I worry about the health of the sport in certain markets. About eight, nine owners just simply don't try. They pocket a lot of the money. And I think they're killing baseball in those cities. And obviously the A's have struggled for a while here. And now we're linked to the A's because it seemed like they just bailed, right? A lot of people in Oakland felt like they bailed abruptly by coming out of nowhere and working out a binding agreement to first buy the Wild Wild West site from Red Rock Resorts. That fell apart because some powers that be, I guess, were more powerful than Red Rock Resorts, which is kind of surprising, but that one got nixed. Then it pops up a couple weeks ago, Candy. The new site is the Tropicana. Implode the Tropicana, build on nine acres. The rest of the property, we're not exactly sure what they're doing with it, how much control the A's will have on the rest of the property, what Bally's is going to do with, I guess, uh, with uh, what would it be, like 27 more acres. So a lot of potential there, a lot of potential there. So I don't want to get into the numbers because I think it gets a little too crazy, but there's contributions from the state and from Clark County. And I know you mentioned it earlier, but I want you to mention again, mention it again, the word being put out by the A's about just, I don't even know the best way to describe it. What they call it, the third, the third lowest in terms of public funding for a stadium deal? Is that what it was? Yeah, if we want to get into this specifically, it is that this stadium will feature the third lowest public contribution I believe, of the last 14 Major League stadiums that have been built. And keep in mind, this is not a statement coming just from the A's. This is a statement that is coming from Clark County, from the state. It's a joint statement. Oh, well, then that makes a lot of sense. Uh Uh-huh. Everyone wants you to know that they're getting a really good deal. Steve, when when you're getting a good deal, do you need someone to tell you you're getting a good deal? No, I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at sniffing out yeah. good deals. I don't need I don't need to have it reinforced. And if it is reinforced, hmm. then I start thinking to myself, wait, is this a good deal? Hmm. Why are you pounding it so hard? 
Yeah, that's kind of funny how uh, when someone is telling you, oh, man, you are getting a steal, that you immediately stop and think, oh, man, how did I just get fleeced? How did I get hoodwinked? The A's are kind of an interesting case study with this because, yeah, sure, you're getting a great deal on what? On an A's franchise that is completely different than the Raiders, right? We talked plenty about the money with the Raiders and whether it was worth it or not, whether it was a good idea or not. But the thing with the Raiders to me is that I remember going to Oakland Alameda County Coliseum at the end of the Raiders run, right? I remember seeing a game against the Cowboys up there in uh, 2017. The fans were there. The place was packed. No one had given up on the Raiders franchise. They were still in droves out there. They were tailgating, sellout crowd for Sunday night football. Go to an A's game right now. There are 2,500 people there because the ownership has run the franchise into the ground. Because last year, before the move had even been completed, they doubled the prices of tickets on a fan base that they had pretty much told we're already looking to get out of here. So why is it just from a business sense that the state of Nevada wants to bring this business, right? We heard so much about tax credit for businesses. We're going to bring in Tesla. We're going to bring in Apple. We're going to give them tax breaks so that they come to our state and create jobs. What is it that the A's bring? They're a poorly run business that has made very clear that they're among that group of owners that you just talked about. You just said eight or nine owners who all they do is pocket money from revenue sharing and then don't do anything with it. And now we're being told, hey, but you're getting a really great deal on bringing them here. Okay, cool story. Yeah, with the details on this, uh, this is really what we need to concentrate on. And until we see an officially official proposal, and we've seen some of the numbers, and the A's are getting essentially some money up front to help build this whole thing. They're going to pay some of it back in taxes, but then they also get that 30-year window that we talked about over at the Wet and Wild site where you're going to have a tax district, which I I really find fascinating that it's on the strip. And I wonder what other companies that own property on the strip are thinking like, wait, okay, they get a tax and it's really a tax free district. Um, Justin Watkins, who's on the show on Wednesdays is one of our legal insiders and is a former Nevada assemblyman was working up the numbers. And you know, if the, if they save, I think the number was like 45 uh, mil a year in taxes over the next 30 years. Start doing the math on that one for 30 years and figure out the tax contribution that the A's in that stadium don't have to pay. And that's a big number. That's a number where they, they don't want you looking at that. Because I, I, to me, that's the future of stadium funding is, hey, we're going we're gonna to help you out here. And on the front end... For the voters, they're not going to see, you know, $750 million like it was with the Raiders or over a billion and a half like it's going to be with the Titans and the Buffalo Bills to build their stadium. Uh, What we're going to do is we'll fold it in so it happens gradually in savings over the 30 years. And if it is, you know, $45 million a year in tax savings that don't go into the state kitty and don't contribute, you know, doesn't go into anything for Clark County, you're talking over a billion dollars and – to me, that's still a public contribution. Am I flawed in that thinking? That's absolutely a public contribution. All of this should be looked at as in, did we have the political will or the will of the people, yeah. all of us, to spend our money on this or to spend our money on other things? We have one of the lowest 
amounts of spending per pupil on education in all of the country. There's no state income tax to offset these things. We absolutely should be looking at any potential dollars that could be going to things that help people and say, how are they being spent? John Fisher, the owner of the A's, has a net worth of $2.1 billion. And we're sitting here talking about $300 million in contributions and that he's going to put forward as one, I'll say, reporter slash PR person uh, put out there for him. The largest contribution in the history of stadiums. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't, okay. see, I didn't see that one. Acres at the RJ put that out there? Are we serious? You don't have to say it. it. I'll the, say it. It was really? the largest. What was put out there was that this is going to be the biggest contribution that has ever been put into. Yeah, but what about the tax savings the over the 30 years? That could add up to over a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. We don't, what about that's, that? that? That's Is that the funny what about on this that? thing? And again, what about all folks, we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I've said repeatedly, this is a show that tries to get into the crosshairs of the public funding on these stadiums, how big the deal is, what's going to happen with a lot of the details. So I'm not here to stand in front of progress. And if everyone listened to us on a lot of stuff about progress, there would have been a lot of things that didn't happen, and we were probably on the wrong side of it. I don't know if we were completely on the wrong side of it from the money dealings with it. So this baseball stadium might be a really good thing. And we had Darren Libinati, who's a big events guy, used to run the Thomas and Mac. We had him on here actually at Silver Sevens about three weeks ago, and he, you know, he talked about all the – all the things that could happen at a stadium with the size, uh, the capacity of, say, 30,000, right? Because we've because of the SB1 deal and Allegiant, we've taken old Sam Boyd out of the mix. And that was a stadium and an arena, a venue that could hold events that, you know, worked better to, you know, 25 or 30,000 people. So maybe the stadium is going to do that. And, yes, the corner of that corner, that corner, of Trop and LV Boulevard could use a lot of revitalization. So that's a good thing as well. Um, I thought what Alan Snell wrote, our uh, buddy from uh, LV Sports Biz, was interesting. It's not, it's, you know, it's, I don't think these are crazy thoughts. He said it's disappointing to see how little public uh, is involved in terms of no public discussion, no info on public debt. And then the other one is, are we going to have a real discussion here soon before it's all approved on infrastructure and roads? Like, should Las Vegas have a say in that? Should Las Vegas get to see what's happening? Should you know, residents of Clark County, because I'm sure there are people right now who are like, the stadium's not Las Vegas. I get it. I get it. It's, Las Vegas is a, 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 a generally accepted term for the, most of the region, right? Anything wrong with what Snell said there that, you know, this, this seems to be kind of quiet as it moves along? Compare it to the Raiders process. That's all you have to do. Meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting with people coming and testifying about the value of the stadium. You had Jeremy Aguero, one of the most respected economists in Nevada, working on this and saying, we have the numbers. This is going to pay for itself over time. What do we have the A's doing? Farting around town, going from site to site, piecing together tax districts and contributions and, and this nebulous process that we don't really have information on. Look, if you think I'm being negative about this, you talked about what, what this show looks into. I'm probably the biggest baseball fan on this show. I love the sport. I want there to be baseball in Las Vegas. I would have killed for that as a kid growing up. But I also want Nevada to do it responsibly if it's going to happen. This is not the way to do it. 
and it's going to get jammed through the legislature here in the course of about two weeks if this deal really holds up. And if you have quotes from Steve Yeager, the Assembly Speaker, and Nicole Cannizzaro, the Senate Majority Leader, in there, along with Joe Lombardo, I have to believe that there's at least some belief that the caucus is going to approve these things. Then, come on. I mean, there has to be some level of transparency to spending this amount of money because I can't imagine anything else that would get away with it. Does it upset or surprise you? I'm guessing not because you just kind of slipped it in there. Um, when you hear that uh, dude outside the market, we had him on, and he's been passionately following things on behalf of the barrier and its fans. Casey Pratt at ABC7 uh, tweeted out yesterday, hearing the athletics toward yet another stadium site option in Las Vegas, even after the Tropicana announcement. What are these binding agreements made of? <laughs> is, is there actual paper? Is it That's a funny. handshake? Is it a yeah. mind meld? Like, what is the binding in binding agreement? Because now we have two binding agreements, but they're still looking at other sites. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I don't really understand. Casey Pratt's been a pretty good watchdog on this stuff from the Bay Area all along, but none of what we're hearing inspires any confidence that this is an organization with a plan. This is an organization that had a door shut behind them by their significant other and then had to go to their mistress and try to find the best possible terms of that arrangement that they could get. We had, uh, and the reason I asked if you were surprised that they're still looking at other sites, we had Justin Watkins, again, a former state assemblyman who's a regular on the show on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. When I pushed him on this, I didn't push him, but uh, threw this his way. Hey, is the TROP going to be the site? Or could there be another change? And he, he said he's 50-50 at best on the TROP being the site. So there could be complications with that site. Who knows what happens with the airport? It's a very small site. I'm, I mean, I, with, with the A's ownership group, I assume you know, they want some leverage play. So we've heard, and I don't know if it has life again, we've heard that the festival grounds are not an option, that uh, Phil Ruffin wasn't super fired up for over the, the stuff that was being asked for. The wet and wild site, I suppose, could still be an option. I don't know if Red Rock Resorts, Wild Wild West site could get back in the mix. It doesn't sound like it with the culinary union. And uh, then we've also got the Rio property. So this is far from over. But here's a crazy thing, Candy. AP today. Headline. Uh, vote. Uh, this is Manfred. Vote on athletics. Las Vegas move could take place at June meetings. Is that, oh, is that right? Wow, this is buttoned up enough. We're good to go. Is that right? Wow, that was fast. I, I didn't even think we were getting a vote in the legislature before June. Right. That's amazing. We can't even sell the commanders that fast when everyone wants to get away from Dan Snyder. Yeah. That's amazing. Apparently, Rob, I was say, I, Rob, God, keep, keep going, keep going. No, just the idea of leverage is amazing to me. They have none. They've had none. What leverage do the A's have? Oh, we're not going to come here. Where are you going to go? You have nowhere else to go. Mark Davis could run off to San Antonio and make everyone believe that maybe he would take the Raiders to San Antonio. And you know what? Maybe he would have taken the Raiders to San Antonio. It's the NFL. Everyone who doesn't want a team has a team, wants a team if they don't have one. The, uh, the current... This is the... Yeah. No, it's fine. Do it. I, my coherence is going you know, opaque on this anyway. The current legislative session ends on June 5th. The meetings that... Bobby Manfred is talking about are June 13th to the 15th. Oh, man, that's even quicker <laughs> than he put the pitch clock in. 
This is crazy. What a story to follow. What a story, folks. Live entertainment returns to Silver 7s every Friday and Saturday from 8.30 to midnight at the Bud Light Sports Bar inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. We're going to check in with Willie Ramirez in just a couple minutes. He was out at Raider OTAs and also uh, watched Slap 2, Power Slap 2. So I want to get his take on the uh, fighting event over at the Apex. But Devontae Adams spoke today at the OTA, uh, OTA Media Availability and... A lot of the conversation was around what he said to the ringer a few weeks ago where he said he didn't see eye-to-eye with management about the offseason, but he'll have to deal with it. He tried to clarify his comments. Um, That got a little bit weird. So now he got to speak face-to-face with many members of the media, and uh, here he talks about (laughs) – about. I mean, he's mentioning that he's unapologetic, but uh, fire this one about not paying attention. First of all, I don't pay attention. I'm like, I like live under a rock half the time. You know, I, I find out stuff usually last. I told you I found out I was traded on Twitter. So I don't usually know what's, what's going on with that, nor do I care. And I don't mean this in a malicious way at all, but I've become who I've become by not caring. When I learn to stop caring about what other people think, like now, you know, if I drop a ball in the game, it's just something that happened. It's not like, oh, my God, there's 80,000 people in here. It's on TV. All these things, you know, it is what it is. I understand that part. The latter part of what I understand, Candy, but when you're the lead player of a franchise, you have to care. And I also think he's stretching the truth a bit. He does care. I honestly am not interested in whether or not he cares. It's not my problem in the end. What my problem becomes is you got to pick one way or the other. Because you can't say, I don't care. And then give quotes about how we should all go play Monopoly if we're spending time analyzing that kind of stuff. Well, you you went out there and said it, so that's what we're analyzing. If you don't care, then don't say anything. Then we won't have anything to care about on our end. It can be a very easy relationship that way. But when you choose to go out there and say something on the record, and you very well know after many years as a professional and collegiate athlete, when you're on the record and when you're not, you know what you're saying and you know how people are going to react to it. Devontae Adams is a smart human being. He knows how people are going to react to this. And if you don't care, then just come in and say, hey, man, you know what? Like, like, like we talked about it. Everything's going to be fine. That's it. Let that be that. Right. But you don't have to get the way you did. And that's the part where I have a problem because you clearly do care. All right, fire the next one. It's definitely difficult for, you know, the, the average person in this position. But for me, I, I keep it rolling. I'm going to keep it pushing the, the same way as if it never happened. And um, the damage control usually comes in to try to make sure people understand. And I don't want guys walking around feeling uncomfortable in the building or, or otherwise. And it usually only comes where I do decide to, you know, come forth and, and speak up to, um, you know, when I actually care about that person enough. And, and clearly I care about the people in this building to, to do that. Man, there's, there's a lot here. But. I'm not going to psychoanalyze what's going on with Devontae. And you know what? Frankly, as you just said, I'm not even sure it's worth analyzing for much longer because uh, when I've asked other people on the show, will Devontae Adams be with the Raiders? Uh, the current direction we think they're going in, which is playing for the future, do you think he's going to be on the twenty, the beginning of the 2020, well, I guess it is the 2024 season, Raiders? Is he here I two seasons from now? Two seasons from now, as in this season plus one more, I you know yeah. then we're getting into a cap question, right? And what right. are the what are the Raiders willing to do when it comes to Devontae Adams and guaranteed money? Because he's in twenty twenty four, 
he's guaranteed $16.8 million. The biggest part of his guarantee comes in 2024. So you're talking about taking a massive, massive cap hit if you end up letting him go before that. So it, it just brings us back to the same question. Are the Raiders in or are the Raiders out? Are they trying to win or are they trying to get Caleb Williams? And I don't know that you can find a single person to make you a credible argument that they know for sure that it's either way. Coming up, Will Ramirez on uh, what he saw at OTAs today with the media availability with the Raiders and also his uh, experience around the slappers last night. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. Uh-oh, in Dallas for the Stars. one nothing. VGK. Golden Knights score an early goal uh, just over four minutes into the game, so one nothing. Knights trying to close out Dallas in game number four and get the sweep in the Western Conference Finals. Willie Ramirez, another, uh, another member of the company, is up with uh, Cofield and Adam Candy and James and Ari. What's up, Willie? What's happening, guys? How are you? A lot. A lot, man. How busy was it today in terms of uh, the media attendance and player availability at Raiders headquarters after or around OTAs? The room was relatively packed, I will have to say. Um, all the regulars covered and, and then some. It was, uh, you know, every, obviously for day one. And then uh, we found out when we got there that Devontae was going to be talking. And uh, and then, of course, Max Crosby came out. So you had your offensive leader, your defensive leader. Early in the day, we had Josh McDaniels. And uh, they allowed us to be out there for all two hours of practice. Um, it was good. You know, it was, it was, I mean, I, I will say this, um, they didn't look like, it didn't look like it was the first day of practice. And I know that they've been there, they've been working out, the, the, the facility's been open to them, but uh, it looked as if they had, they were maybe a month in. I mean, everything was in sync and, and they, they were sort of cohesive from what we could tell, right? You can only see so much, but um, overall it was productive and it, and it sounded like based on what the players had to say, especially Devonte and Max, that. They're, they're pleased with where things are at to start OTAs. What did McDaniels have to say? I saw you sent out a joke about Brady. What was the uh, what was the Brady discussion, and what was what was most of the discussion about with McDaniels? Oh, it was scattered, to be honest with you, today. I mean, for the most part, uh, our good friend Paul Gutierrez from ESPN had asked what it was going to be like to look up in the owner suite uh, come the regular season and, and know that Tom Brady's up there and, and with his relationship. And he was like, yeah, you know, if, I mean, if it all goes well and everything goes through, that would be great um, to, to have him be a part of that. Um, and he all finished it by saying, you admitted it was a fumble when you came here. Is it expected that he has to admit that it's a fumble before he takes ownership and he walked out and said 100% in, you know that it no question about it speaking of the tuck rule that is Willie what was the level of surprise among the people in the room hearing the news that Jimmy Garoppolo had had to have surgery and that's the reason that the initial signing impressor had been delayed um I think there were some, it was kind of mixed because there were some that speculated. There were some that hadn't reported on it that sort of had an idea. I don't think that a lot of people knew that there was going to be, there was going to be a need for a corrective or, or something that needs to be fixed surgical. Um, but they definitely felt as if 
there was an issue. There was a problem. The foot was going to be an issue. Um, I, but I think I, I don't think it was shocking. Uh, I just think it was sort of alarming, like, you know, oh, wow. You know, they didn't realize it was that severe, but it was so low key in terms of how Josh McDaniels, which he really didn't tell us anything um, that I think that he expects him to be recovered in time for training camp. Uh, yeah, I hope so for Josh McDaniel's sake, right? I hope so for the sake of the of the Raiders organization because I don't know that anyone's expecting to see Brian Hoyer playing for uh, for the Raiders this year. So, it, all right, so, Willie, they have a first-round draft pick who has some injury concerns. Now you have the Jimmy Garoppolo situation with some injury concerns. I'm going to bring up the same point with you that I brought up with Steve. Is this Raiders organization in on winning this year or not? I, I believe that they are. I believe that they're they're most certainly in on a, a win net with a win now attitude. I, I think when you you know going back to last year, you bring in a guy like Devontae Adams, um, you you automatically have a win. You're not bringing him in to build for the future. You're you're doing everything you can to win now. And I think by bringing a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo in and continuing to surround themselves with somewhat of a Patriots vibe, you have a win-now attitude. It's the familiarity that Josh McDaniels wants to have around him, on the sidelines, in the coach's booth, um, you know, talking to him in the headphones. And that's really, you know, I think that's the mindset. Do do I think that they believe that they can go win the Super Bowl? I think that they have to, in a sense, have confidence that they can compete for it. I don't know if anybody believes that they're the best team in the league going in, but if they can figure out a formula with the right ingredients to sort of be competitive through the midway point of the season and then find that that little bit of run in them to make to, to make a, a dart toward the uh, toward the postseason I think they have to have that mindset I don't think that with the, with the people that they have on this roster that they can afford not to so what Willie was the vibe around that Devonte Adams conversation today because we've played a few clips and it seems like Devontae was kind of going out of his way to try to say, I didn't mean to cause a problem. I didn't mean for this to be become a thing. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the, the comments to the ringer were what they were. But what, was, what were you taking out of what you heard? I expected nothing less from Devontae Adams. It's, it's been this way with this guy since he got here. I mean, he is exceptional when it comes to dealing with the media, being up front. Sort of saying what's on his mind, and I, if if I'm not mistaken, uh, Adam, I, I I don't remember who was day one of OTAs last year. I'd have to go back and look at my uh, the transcripts, but I I would almost guarantee that Devonte wanted to be the first speaker today. As a matter of fact, he wasn't supposed to go to like after one. He was out there like within. 15 minutes after the scheduled ending of the practice, he wanted to come out there and speak and address because he knew the question was going to be asked and he, he confronted it head on. And I think everybody in the room, I don't think there, there was like a vibe in the room. You know, you, you know that some people come in and sort of BS their way through or him and Haw, uh, kind of like from a hockey standpoint, right? Jamie Ben, he, he avoided the press conference the other day. And then the next day he comes in Devonte. I think everybody buys into everything that he says and believes what he says because he's never held back. He's never stammering. He's never nervous. He's never – he's very upfront, And I think everything he said is 100%. All 
Willie Ramirez with us, part of the company, writes for the Sporting Tribune, writes for AP, jack of all trades, master of all of them. Um, last night, you were, well, tell me where you were sitting at the Apex for Power Slap 2. I was basically at the 50-yard line, if you will, of the right. media center on the top row. Well, there was only one up on the riser where they had the press situated. Um, of course, I, you know, I walked around for a little bit, said hi to some people. Shane Victorino was in the audience. I visited with him for a minute. Went across the way, saw our good friend Mark Ratner. Um, Max Crosby was there for a little bit. He left. He told me he was getting out of there early because he had practice today. Um, said hi to some people that I recognized from the from Power Slap One. But for the most part, I was up on press row, dead center, right in the middle of it. So where they where where the two guys meet at the podium to slap one another. I mean, dead between them, watching this. All right, what did you think of the event? What was it like with a you know somewhat? It, well, it was a live audience. It's not a gigantic audience. What do you think? It was, well, on the contrary, compared to Power Slap 1, it was a lot more packed. It was it was dang near sold out. I mean, there were, there were you couldn't tell really if there were any empty seats as, a, as opposed to Power Slap 1. There were some empty seats. There was a lot of ele- electricity, a lot of energy. The preliminary bouts were, were decent. The main events, the, the, there were championship uh matches but there was one that was only three rounds and it wasn't a championship it was a super heavyweight that's the one that had like the most attention the most hype the most energy um with a guy who is known as the hawaiian hitman dane viernes now his brother is is contracted with another uh, organization so he can't be with power slap but I interviewed him for Power Slap 1 for AP just to do a story on the event itself and introducing itself to the world. And um, he was excited about the energy that Dana White was bringing to this, you know, to, to this sport. And he talked about his brother and he couldn't wait for his brother to make his debut. Last night was his debut and it was rocking. I mean, he had this place on fire. There were a lot. There was a lot of um polynesian representation in the audience like i said shane victorino was there with a little bit of a group uh uh the the hawaiian hitman's brother who goes by the crazy hawaiian koa he was there with a group they had flags around their backs it was it was it was pretty wild i mean he brought a lot of energy and i think he he came we asked max crosby today who was most i did i said hey who were you most impressed with last night because he brought up power slap he said it had to have been that big hawaiian yeah uh, his opponent was a 467-pound athlete. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. He was what? It was about what? About 350 against 467. This sport has a carny feel to it, but I understand why people like it. Um, I was sitting just down the road at Ellis Island, and they had it on the big screen, and with me was a brooding Adam Hill who hates the sport, but I think he was looking around. And he's like, I, he couldn't deny what was going on. Like people were really enjoying it. I know it's barbaric, but people freaking loved it. Does it for you? Does it have a future? Can you hold cards like yeah. this every yeah. so often and actually get like five thousand people in the building? Because I think you can. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I sat with Dana White afterwards. He did his post uh, postcard press conference um, with everybody. And then his PR person brought me in the back. And he and I sat down at a, a, a private table um, away from some people, you know, in iShot. But we just sat there. We talked for about 15 minutes, which I'm going to be doing a huge piece on Power Slap. But we talked about a number of different things. We talked about his New Year's Eve incident. We talked about taking over this sport. He talked about you know, where he says the first five years of UFC, everyone told me this isn't a sport. This is barbaric. These are two people that are just crushing one another. This is never going to go anywhere. He says he he's hearing everything. He says, here's the thing, Willie. If I'm hearing good or I'm hearing bad, people are talking about it. He goes, if people really hate it, then I must be doing something right because that's what he wants. He want, The more conversation that's being generated, the better. You know, it's, it's kind of like the loud mouse on Twitter or the trolls, right? When you, we always say, just ignore them, don't answer them, don't give them attention. Then you kind of give them relevance. All these people that are out there just hating. Like I put a, um, I put one of the, the video of, of the Hawaiian hitman. I put a reel up on Instagram when I, by the time I got home, there was over 5,000 views. It's like over, it's up to 23,000 and I'm nobody. By the time I left the facility, the actual official power slap video that went up of the same the same video had a million views when I said goodbye to Dana White. That was but an hour after the card ended. Um, he was telling me that on the live stream they do these sweepstakes. And they do the same thing for UFC. He said last night that there were 115,000 sweepstake entries off of the live stream. He said he's never done more than 200,000 on any UFC live stream. So... Uh, whether or not you like it or not, whether or not you think it's a sport or not, it doesn't. I asked him that question. I said, well, how do you answer to those who ridicule and say, this is not a sport? And he said the same thing again. It's not, it, I heard the same thing with UFC. So I definitely think it, it, it has legs and it's not going away. Uh, I think it's a little insulting to UFC and mixed martial arts. Um, so I'll leave it at that. There's a lot of skill that goes into mixed martial arts. There's some skill that goes into this as well. I will say right now, I think most of the fighters – who are doing well five years from now, if they actually grow the sport, these guys won't be able to beat anyone, but that's how quickly this will evolve. Um, Cause yeah. as I mentioned, the, the fight that, that you liked, and I really enjoyed it too, but when you've got like, you know, 362 against 467 in terms of weight and the 467 pound guy should not have been out there. I mean, he could have seriously got hurt. Um, the other question I think that, you know, some people are concerned with, they're going to make some money on this. Other, did any of the fighters last night actually make money? Yeah, and then he and then he uh, he actually came in and he told he said, I think there were four or five people that had that made ten thousand dollar bonuses on top of that. So, uh, I mean, they're growing it in the right direction. He's really excited about the next uh, whatever will be the Power Slap series, and to see because he said a lot of those people that are going to get in and the people that audition for it and the people that get onto the show and then advance come next year, they're going to be up against. The people we're watching now that they're sort of rotating through all these cards through Power Slap right. 1, 2, and whatever we see. Yeah, and I can tell you now in the evolution of the sport, if because I saw a bunch of guys who had dropped down weight classes, if anyone's going to get into the sport and they're like, oh, I don't need to be as trim as possible, you know, you don't want to lose all your strength, but, you know, if you're some doughy 5'9 guy fighting at heavyweight, you're an idiot because eventually the sport will evolve to where you should probably be weighing 170 um, and not risk going against guys who are – you know, like a natural 205 or a natural heavyweight. And 
I guess super heavyweight could be kind of interesting because the UFC doesn't have that. So you're gonna have you can have some crazy you know circus shows like the one last night again where you have guys who are like 800 pounds plus. So, well, I'm glad you, you covered it. I'm glad you covered it. I'm yeah. glad you're open to it. You know, I like it. Um, there's gonna be a fight on the show for a long time about it. I know that. Well, you know, everybody is open to their opinion. I mean, you can think what you want. I'm still up in the air as to where it classifies as a sport. What I do know is it's pure entertainment. If you go there live and watch it, just the point that there are guys out. And, oh, and by the way, he said he eventually is going to have women that want to do this. So there's going to be a women's division. But the fact that someone wants to just get up there, you get points knocked off if you flinch. And if you flinch, the other guy gets to say, hey, you can – Either take the point off or you get another strike. You get hit for you get hit for or you get hit with a point deduction for cuffing. So there's a lot to it. But the fact that someone just goes up there and says, Hey, yeah, go ahead and smack me. I mean, I, I had people comment on my Instagram reel like, what person in the world would wanna well, obviously they do. And I don't know whether or not where to classify it, where it goes. I guess it's a it's a combat sport. It is what it is. These people are taking shots to the head. I mean it's not going – that's just it, is the people that tuned in, the people that want to see this, the, the crowd last night, the fact that there are celebs and other athletes that have embraced this, it's not going anywhere. Dana White knows what he's doing. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. You can uh, disapprove it. You could not believe in it. That's your – that's fine. You, and that's – there's there's no argument in that. That's okay. It, but, it, but on the other hand, it is still going to be considered a sport, and it's still going to thrive because – it's already showing signs of life to the nth degree after only two events. Good job, Willie. We appreciate the availability today. Willie's going to be doing the show tomorrow at Treasure Island. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. One, one. VGK and Dallas will give you details on the the, uh, goal scored by uh, Dallas, and we'll close out at Silver Sevens in the grab bag. Today's show is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. 766-1400 locally offices in Henderson and Las Vegas. It's Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman, Battleborn Injury Lawyers helping us out here on this Thursday, 766-1400. Come hang with Cofield and Company at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside TI. Free parking, great food and drink specials, and giveaways every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside TI. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Candy, Cofield, Silver Sevens. On a Thursday, we uh, wrap up here as we're tracking the Golden Knights. What just happened, Candy? 1-1 tie. Was it Robertson who scored for Dallas? Dallas power play, Robertson on a scramble in front of the net, whacked one out of midair, and kind of a fluky goal, but sometimes that's all it takes, and Dallas is back in. Yep, 1-1, end of the first. Come on down here to Silver Sevens. Uh, through the rest of the game, 77-cent bottles, 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra. City Cafe is open for food as well, and you can come on down and sign up for the A-Play card. They've got great giveaways, especially on Fridays where they've got a uh, Friday and Saturday, $500 hourly cash drawing. That starts at 8 o'clock. Live entertainment Fridays and Saturdays. Also starting in that 8 o'clock hour at 8.30 right here at the Bud Light Sports Bar. And they've got a $3 beer and a shot special. Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So interesting news, Candy, from uh, UNLV football. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but 
over the last couple of months. Not only were they trying to cobble together a, a good recruiting class for 2023, a mix of JUCOs, transfers, high school players, but they got really aggressive getting out on the recruiting trail, and you saw just offer after offer around the country for 24, 25, and 26. And I don't know that I've seen UNLV get as many commits for the next class as they have right now. I mean, we're at May, what is this, 25th? And they've got seven commits now. They just had a sixth and a seventh commit from the KC area, a big defensive lineman, and then also a linebacker who is, I mean, by the rankings, uh, a top five recruit in the history of the program. So interesting approach. And now they've got a dude from the Houston area, two from the KC area, someone from Hawaii, uh, and then they've got locals. They've got two commits from Liberty locally and another 2024 commit from Bishop Gorman. So you can kind of see the, the plan here, certain regions they like, and really trying to get in, especially on three stars at the big high schools here. So I think the question that I would throw back to you as someone who follows this extremely closely, what does it mean for them to be going after guys in the next classes? I think it's massive. I think you don't have scrambling. Now, now here's the thing. Every time I see someone commit, and especially the, uh, the kid who committed today from uh, Liberty North outside of Kansas City, uh, Melvin Laster, a 6'1", 225 linebacker. I mean, he chose UNLV over a lot of big boy schools. Now you got to turn the commit into, hey, you hold on to him. But what it shows to me is that all the hard work trying to look ahead to 24, 25, and 26 is already paying off and kids are trusting it. And also they're using the facility really well by having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of visitors come during the offseason to check out the facility, and it's one of their really big strengths. Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So, Candy, you sent over a note earlier. It had Chris Mannix in it. What did Mannix say, who covers the NBA, about the coverage of Jokic? Well, not just Jokic. He basically said that there's not – more coverage of the Denver Nuggets and they're not getting as much attention as the Lakers did in that series because they're just not really that interesting. Oh, wow. So I was wondering whose job is it to make sports stories interesting if not a guy from Sports Illustrated like Chris Mannix? Like, it seems to me like that's your job and we could all get into the critique of saying are the Nuggets interesting or not? Yeah, they are. There's a seven-foot fat guy who's become the best player in the NBA. Is that not relatable or interesting to everyone out there? Yeah. He is dad bod golden hope, and yet somehow we don't think that's interesting. Like, look at Nikola Jokic and try to figure out how this guy became the best player in the NBA. That, to me, is fascinating. How about look at any Serbian player, by the way, with two brothers who seem like they're on the edge of going psycho, how any Serbian player came out of that war-torn country and is excelling at basketball. His background alone is interesting, and we don't have to go through a laundry list of players. I just, man, this whole, you know, chicken and the egg thing, like they're not getting enough coverage to they're boring. I don't get it. Barkley was going off the other day, and it's like, you know, Chuck is getting mad at the rest of the media for not covering the Nuggets. Like, Chuck, your brand is built on not knowing the league. You guys think it's funny. You and Shaq. To joke about not knowing anyone outside of the best 15 players, it's on you too, bruh. Who he play for? Apparently the Nuggets. Amazing. Thanks to Silver 7s for housing the show. Come on down here. VGK Hockey. 
Second period's coming up.